just heard that uh, Sarah hasn't been uh, well. She was in hospital, was it yesterday I think Annie said? Yes. So let's remember Sarah in our prayers. She comes and helps us at the centre. I'm sure most of you here will know, will remember Sarah. Uh, do, do remember the church at Kirk and Tillich, will you, for, tom- for tomorrow? Uh, one of the young mothers has, has died of cancer. And uh, there's a son and a daughter in the family. And the church is just heartbroken today. Even the minister trying to announce it this morning was a, an ordeal. So remember them in prayer for tomorrow. It's going to be a big, big funeral. And we'll all be there. So let's, let's remember them in, in your prayers if you don't mind. Let's come before God in prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you that you're with us in all circumstances. And we just want to lift up Sarah before you. We thank you for the work that she does for us in the, in the shop and how she comes on a Wednesday night and enjoys it so much. And we pray that you'll lift her up, Lord, in body, mind and spirit, that she would be healed and restored and just able to serve you further in the areas in which you have placed in her heart. And we pray, Lord, for the church at Kirkintilloch. We remember the family of Linda McKechnie, Lord. We pray for her husband. We pray for her boy and the girl, that you'll just see them through tomorrow. We pray for Linda's mother, for, for the Valens' father, for all the rest of the members of the family. But above all, we pray for David Gordon as he leads that service tomorrow. Lord, it must be a, a terrific ordeal to be able to take a service like that. And so we ask that you'll sustain us all as we mourn the loss of a very dear Christian whose testimony was so powerful that she touched the lives of so many folks in the church. And help us, Lord, to have a testimony like that. Help us to be the kind of people who touch the life of each other for the good of the, the conviction that we have of the Lord, for our testimony. And our testimony will be so clear and so powerful that other people will be affected by our lives. And so we just pray, Lord, that something that's said today will register with each of our hearts and cause a response to be made. We give you thanks for that in Jesus' name. Amen. I do hope you can make it along to these Wednesday evenings. That's the follow-up for the Purpose Driven Church. And, and thank to, thanks to Graham, he's taken that forward. So do get along to that for the, the follow-up and discussion about community and how a community can become a crowd, how a crowd can become a congregation, how the congregation can be committed, how the committed become the core of the church. And you want to be there, just to, able to share with that. Let's come to the Word of God then. Uh, and we're going to read uh, a passage from Ecclesiastes. It's actually page 572 if you're using uh, this Bible here. But of course, because you know all the books of the Bible, if you find Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, you should be able to find it okay. But page 572 in the Church Bible. And chapter 3 is a very famous passage. And it's not only famous for Christians, it's even known outside of the Christian church. So let's just read this one. That's Ecclesiastes chapter 3, just the first eight verses. It says there, There's a time for everything, a season for every activity under heaven. Time to be born, a time to die, time to plant, a time to harvest, a time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down, a time to rebuild, a time to cry, a time to laugh. 
A time to grieve and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to turn away. A time to search and a time to loose. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be quiet and a time to speak up. A time to love, a time to hate. Time for war and a time for peace. Well, if you turn your Bibles to Ephesians, Paul's letter to the Ephesian church, I'll give you the page in a wee minute, page um, 983, if you're using the church Bible, 983, uh, let's make that, that's right, and verses 15 and 16 of Ephesians chapter 5. So it says here, that's page 983, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Some other time we'll get the guitar out and do these books of the Bible again, won't we? And we'll get them all right, won't we? <laughs> Ephesians 5, 15 and 16. So be careful how you live, not as fools, but as those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity for doing good in these evil days. I'm sure God will, will bless his word to all of us in his name to be the praise and the glory. There's a teaching in the Word of God that we really need to hear and understand. There's something in the Word of God, a concept, an understanding of life, and if we don't get this right, we're going to fail as Christians. We're going to fail and flop as a church. We won't have the energy, we're going to end up with stress, and all kinds of things are going to happen to us that's going to hold back the work of God. And your Christian life as well is at stake if we don't get this teaching right. And the word that the Bible uses is a word that you don't often use in your everyday conversation. It's the word steward. I'm sure you don't go about talking about stewards, a steward in the kingdom of God. Actually, the Methodist Church, when they're talking about their leaders in the church, I'm sure they have stewards. I think they have stewards in the Methodist Church. The only time we ever hear about a steward is when we go for a flight. Is that true? The stewards in the plains, they call them stewards, that come and attend to our every wish and every need that we have when we fly. But what does this word steward actually mean? I need to tell you something about God, which we don't often understand, and that is God is the owner of everything. Now you might say, well, it's my house, it's my car, it's my life, it's my party, and I'll cry if I want to. <laughs> all, these, all these things are mine. If you want to be true to the understanding of the Bible, it all belongs to God. Your money, your time and everything belongs to God. And we need to get this concept over that God is really the owner of everything. He's the one that, that created everything. And the Bible says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I wonder if you've really thought that through. That Really, I, I don't own anything in this world. God created it. God owns it. And that's tremendous. So sometimes it can help us to deal with our selfishness or our self-interest just to know, well, look, it all belongs to God. It's his church as well. He is the owner. 
The second slate tells us also something else about God, that he is the giver. Somewhere about there, Sandra, the next one. Is it coming up? No? It's not coming up. No, that's God is the giver. Not only does he own all these things, but he doesn't say to himself, well, I own all these things and I'm keeping them to myself. He is the one that gives. He gives and gives and gives again and again. And the word for that, of course, is the word grace. Grace is the favour of God on your life and mine. God is full of mercy. God is a forgiving God. And he's a giving God. By the way, I've got notes for you at the end of the service. Don't you take any notes about this. I've got the notes there. God is the giver. And that's wonderful. And not only does he own everything, but he's willing to give something back to us. And then the question is asked, well, where are we in all this? If he's the owner, he's the giver, and the next slide tells us that we are actually the manager. We are the managers. And that's what a steward means. A steward is a manager of what God owns and what God has given. And there are some of the parables that Jesus told that make that very, very clear to us. It talks about the owner of the vineyard going away for a spell and leaving the vineyard in the hands of the stewards. You look after things for me. And that's your role. That's my role in the kingdom of God. I have to manage what God owns and what God has given. And sometimes we have to say, well... Maybe I'm not managing as well as I shouldn't. Maybe I'm not managing all that well. You know, there are at least four areas in which we are to manage things. If that's the next slide. There are four areas at least, there are many more areas in which we are to manage. But at least these four areas, and they all start with T, that makes it very easy to remember. One is our time. God has given us this time on this earth. The other is our talents, and talents just means our gifting. The other is our treasures, the money that we receive. And the fourth is the truth, the gospel. We have to manage how we spread the gospel in this world. I think you'll agree with me when it comes to time, we have to say, well, Lord, uh, I'm not really managing time all that well. There are things I should be doing that's been left undone. I just haven't been managing. I've been lying around sometimes in the morning. or I've been so late at night that I'm just not awake the next day. All kinds of things go on in life. And sometimes we have to say, Lord, I've not been managing time as you would have me to manage it. There are things that I should be doing that are not happening. And sometimes we say the same about our talents. Lord, I'm not really managing the gifting that you've given me. Not just Susan Boyle that has difficulty with talents. We all have difficulty something. Lord, I'm not using the gifts that you've given to me. I need you to show me afresh how to use these talents, use these gifts. And I'm not really managing to use them in the way that you would like them. And the same is true of treasures. Lord, I'm not managing finance. And there are folk in the church, and each one of us, we have to re-examine how we manage our money. And perhaps some people have to say, Lord, I'm really in debt. And because I'm in debt, I'm really robbing you, God, of the giving that you want me to give to the church of Christ. And so there's things that we need to manage regarding our treasure. And the truth, do we manage the gospel? 
Do we manage to share it? I wonder if you're a bit like me. I've always got the answers once the person's away. <laughs> I'm chatting away to them, you know, and, and they're away and I say, oh, I should have said such and such. Should have said such and such. And so sometimes we're trying to manage how do we deal with the truth. We are ambassadors of this truth. We have to manage the truth of the gospel. And sometimes we say, Lord, I'm just not managing too well in that area. Of course there's other areas as well. Sometimes we have to say, Lord, I'm not managing relationships. Within the marriage, within the family. I'm just not managing along that area. I'm not managing my anger. I just lose the place from time to time. <laughs> lose my temper, what have you. There's so many areas that we need to manage. Well, I, you'll be glad to know I'm not going through all these this morning. You'll be glad to know that. But I'm going to be, what I'm going to do this morning, I'm going to do, take a tackle the one managing our time. And, and next week, God willing, I want to think about treasure. Because talents has been tackled by Chris in a very uh, extended way. Remember that shape, S-H-A-P-E. That was really Chris speaking into how we manage our talents. And this managing of the truth is something that's going to come into this series on the purpose-driven church. Perhaps all of it's going to come in actually, but certainly our gifting and our truth, how we speak the gospel to the community, all that's going to be coming up. So I'm just going to tackle time this morning and next week, God willing, we'll look at treasure, how God wants us to handle our treasures before him. But all these things are helpful. How do we manage our time? Let me just get out so not on the slide this one. Let me just give you some of the scriptures that we have. Psalm 19 verse 12 says, Teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Here's a powerful verse from 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 2 says, As God's fellow workers we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain, for he says, In the time of my favour I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favour, now is the day of salvation. That's a powerful verse. It's now is the time to get saved. Now is the time to get to know Jesus. But the verse that we're going to centre our thoughts on a wee while is Ephesians 5, 15 and 16. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. I want to centre our thoughts on these two verses in Ephesians chapter 5. But before that, I want to tell you some facts about time. Here's the first one that's coming up. It's irreversible and it's irreplaceable. When the time is gone, you can't say, well, I'd like to go back to yesterday. <laughs> We've got to take every opportunity that the time gives us. It's irreplaceable. You can't actually manufacture that time again. It's past. That's in the past. And that can lead to all kinds of problems as well. It's past. We can't actually go back in time and do the things that we wanted to do. And it's quite a, a sobering thought to read. It's irreversible and it's irreplaceable. Here's the next thing that we find about time. That, th that there are two enemies to time. And one is yesterday and the other is tomorrow. Two enemies of time. And just like that last slide there about time being irreplaceable, when it's gone, it's gone. Yesterday can be a real problem to people. And there are people who say, well, I failed yesterday. 
I let the Lord down yesterday. There's no use trying to go on because I feel so badly that I don't want to go on in my faith or I did something terrible in the household or I really let go to the kids and I shouldn't have done that kind of thing. What am I going to do? And life becomes full of regrets. Let me read something to you. I hope you can get the, the gist of this. I remember taking this down years ago. I mean, preachers have a terrible time as well. They, they can preach. We, we all preach rotten sermons sometimes. I've preached a good few of them, I can tell you. And you say, Lord, if you can do anything with that, <laughs> then praise the Lord. Because that was a really bad day. Uh, and that can happen to all of us, those of us who are preaching. But here's a, a piece that can be so helpful. Listen to this. I had not really planned to take a trip this year. Yet I found myself packing anyway. And off I went, dreading it. I was on another guilt trip. I booked my reservation on which I had airlines. I had to drag the baggage for what seemed like miles to Regret City Airport. And I could see that people from all over the world were there with me. Limping along under the weight of bags they had packed themselves. I caught a cab to Last Resort Hotel. The driver taking the whole trip backwards, looking over his shoulder. And then I found the ballroom where my event could be held, the annual pity party. As I checked in, I saw that all my colleagues were there on the guest list. The Dunn family, woulda, coulda, shoulda. Both of the opportunities were there, missed and lost. All the yesterdays, there were too many of them to count. But all would have sad stories to tell. Shattered dreams and broken promises would be there too. Along with their friends, don't blame me and couldn't help it. And of course, hours and hours of entertainment would be provided by the renowned storyteller, It's Their Fault. As I prepared to settle in for a really long night, I realised that one person had the power to send all these people home and break up the party. And that person was me. All I had to do was to return to the present and welcome the new day. Is that right? All I had to do was to return to the present and welcome the new day. Yesterday can be a real problem to time for God. The other thing about it is tomorrow. What is tomorrow? Putting things off till tomorrow, the word we use for that is procrastination, isn't it? Procrastination. Putting off tomorrow what you ought to be doing today. Somebody's called procrastination. As they find it as procrastination is one who puts off until tomorrow the things he's already put off until today. Isn't that true? And James talks about it in James chapter 4, 13 to 16. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why you don't even know what to happen tomorrow? What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and you brag, and all such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Somebody used to say to me, don't put off until tomorrow what you can do today. Tomorrow can be a problem, an enemy of the time that you need to give to God. 
So, two facts about time. It's irreplaceable and irreversible. Two enemies about time, yesterday and tomorrow. Here's one further fact about time. There are two kinds of time. One is chronos time. Do you recognize the word chronology? Chronos time. And chronos time has to do with the clocks and the calendars. Five o'clock will do such and such, if God permits us. It's going to be a Tuesday. It's going to be this year. That's chronos time. The other time is kairos time. And that doesn't mean five o'clock or this year or this month. It means a special moment. And I love that kind of time. You know that God's got a special moment for you and your life. There are special moments that God gives us. And the most special moment of all is the day you invite Christ to come into your life and be your Savior and be your Lord. That's a, a very special moment. And also when you get baptized as well as you. But it's important to recognize God's special moment. And you find that there are scriptures there that show John 7, and, or Matthew 2, 7 first of all, that's the chronos time. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. That's chronos time. John chapter 7 and verse 6 for, for, for Kairos time. Therefore Jesus told them the right time for me has not yet come for you any time. The right moment for me, Jesus is saying here. And then of course Matthew twenty six eighteen, He replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. Here is Jesus saying, my special moment has arrived. I'm going to be crucified. And we're going to have this last supper together. It's not five o'clock or this year or this month it's my special moment has arrived we need to recognize God's special time special moment in our life let's get to Ephesians 5 verses 15 and 16 then let's read it together be careful then let's read it together be careful then how you live not as unwise but as wise making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil now there are two things that we we'll learn about time from that verse. It's very interesting because the older versions don't have the word time in that verse. The older versions say, redeem the time because the days are evil. Well it's so interesting that the, the new translations of the Bible have taken the word time out and it says make the most of every opportunity. And so the first thing that we learn from that verse about time is that, that time is opportunity. I like these modern translations on that verse. That time is opportunity. To say make the most of your time is the same as saying make the most of every opportunity that God gives you. And that's an important lesson. To fulfill God's plan, to do God's work, to live God's life. That's what the Lord is asking us to do, to make the most of every opportunity. And the second lesson that we find here is that time has to be bought. That doesn't come through perhaps in the, the modern translations, but the old, old translations that redeem the time. Now if you redeem, redeem something, you buy something back. If you redeem a slave, you buy a slave and make that slave your servant. So to redeem the time is to buy the time back. 
And that means that we've got to be a consciously deciding to prioritize and be disciplined about our time. We have to sacrifice one thing to give time to something else. We have to be able to say, I'm going to give my time to that. But I can't give my time to this over here. I have to give time to what God is really asking me to give time to. And that's not always very easy along the way because sometimes there are all kinds of things get in the way of doing that kind of thing. But there it is. Time is opportunity. Time needs to be bought. Too importantly. Let me give you four revelations that I'm sure you'll all know of by heart. Number one, this first revelation is we've all got the same amount of time, haven't we? We've all got 168 hours in the week. So you can't actually say to me, you've got more time than I have. We've all got the same amount of time. God has given that to us. 168 hours in the week. You have to work how many hours you sleep. How many hours you uh, uh, have your leisure. How many hours you're working hard with these kids at home. We've got the grandchildren just now. Well, they're going away today, praise God. No, no, I shouldn't say praise God. We had them all day yesterday. We've had them for a few nights. And I tell you, you folks that have young kids, you've got your time. Your time is pretty full. But we all have the same amount of time. And number two is you always find time to do the things you want to do. There hasn't been a, a lover on this earth who hasn't found time to meet with his beloved. You always find time to do the things that you want to do. I, I've found that in life. I'm sure you've found that in life as well. Number three, busy people squeeze more in. I have a conscience about this, but in my life as a, a pastor, I've sometimes had to go to very busy people and say, look, there's a real needful situation here. And I think you could help. Now, I know you're tremendously busy. Do you think you could fit it in? And very often they'll say, I can fit that in. Busy people can very often just put that little bit extra in when there's a situation of crisis or need. And number four is, the time in the Bible covers every area of life. It's a temptation to say, well, he's going to be talking about time for the church. I can tell right away, time for the church. I'm not going to be talking about this time for the church. I'm talking about time for each other as husband and wife. Time for the family. Time for leisure and relaxation. Time for meditation before God. Time for fellowship, the one with the other. So many areas demand our time. And when we're talking about time in the Bible, we're talking about every area in life. And that's so important. I had to learn this the hard way. When I started in the ministry in Alexandria, I just took on everything that was going I was on this committee and that committee in the locality. I was a new guy. Because when you're a new minister, everybody writes it. The Bible Society local committee would like you to come on to this committee. The local council would like you to be on the council for this area. And you had all sorts of things piling in. And I just said yes to them all. And it got so bad, I don't know if I told you this before, that Eileen wrote me a letter <laughs> to the study. And I'm in the study doing all this preparation and this letter comes under the door. And I heard Eileen go up the stairs weeping. I wasn't given time to the family. Things were not happening in the home. 
I remember taking my Bible and going into the car and, and driving outside the town and saying, Lord, what is all this about? The stress was just getting too great. So I had to learn the hard way that as a pastor, no matter what it is in life, I have to give more time to my family and to my wife. And church life can be like that. We have to give the time that's required. And we have got four children in the, in the, in the family. And Eileen had to forgo things. I, I remember the minister's wife who was before us at Danun. Or two before us actually. Uh, she was a young minister's wife as well. Just in first church. And women's minister's wives are expected to do something in Baptist churches. It's no longer the case. But in those days, all these years ago it was. They're expected to be the president of the women's meeting. And the women's meeting in this case was in an afternoon. So this two ministries before me, this minister's wife said, I'll give the children off to this older lady who's just across the road. But she did. And she went to the afternoon women's meeting to lead the women and to be president of the women. While she's leading the meeting, this older lady doesn't manage to keep one of the children in her grip. The child goes onto the road. Gets knocked down by a car. I think I'm right in saying that the car ran over the girl's head. And she managed to scrape through. Don't know how. Maybe because the head was soft. I don't really know. The car went over her head and she managed. That minister's wife said, that's it. I will never be at that meeting again as president. I'm going to be home with the kids. I'm going to be home with the kids. And there's all these kind of expectations that sometimes come upon us. And we've got to get this kind of right. I read recently a story <clears throat> about this father who came home from his work and his, his son was around the house. And, and, and the son came up with a question that the, surprised the father. He says, Dad, how much do you make an hour? He says, Son, not even your mother knows that. <laughs> <laughs> they kept persisting, How much do you make an hour, Dad? And dad sort of gave and he says, 20 pounds an hour. Quite a job he must have had. 20 pounds an hour. He said, dad, can you lend me a tenner? He says, well, that's, is that the reason you asked what I make an hour? He said, I'm not going to get you up to your bed. The dad, the dad was really angry. So that night, the father thought, 10 pounds, that's not a great deal. And maybe he's trying to get something really special. Might even be for me, the father thought. Maybe it's Father's Day coming up, though he really realise it. So he repented the father and he got up to the bed, he said, You sleeping, son? He says, No, he said, I'm not sleeping, Dad. Son, he says, Here's a, a ten pound note to you. Just buy whatever you want. And before the father left the bedroom, the boy got the ten pound note and he under the pillow got another ten pound note. Put the two together. He says, Dad, that's 20 pounds, he says. Could I buy an hour of your time? Could I buy an hour of your time? Have a think about that. When it comes to church life and family life and all the things that we need to be doing. that are How do we manage this then? How do we get this balance right? Number one is this. We have to stop leaking. I'm not saying you're leaking this morning. <laughs> All I'm saying to you, we have to stop the leaks of time that come in our lives. We have to stop the leaks. You cannot afford to sacrifice your time with the Lord. 
You have to have that time with the Lord day by day if you can make it. To meditate on His Word. To get before God in prayer. To start the day right. I, I, I love... You know, when I was at uh, Dunoon, first of all, maybe I told you, forgive me if I keep telling these stories again and again. When I was at Dunoon, first of all, there's this organist stayed across the road and, and they asked me to come and see him. And, and he said, Alec, he says, what kind of music do you like? He said, the last minister who was here, we were right into classical music. We used to sit with the headphones on. And, and I says, well, it's, it's actually country western. Johnny Cash. Well, you should have seen his face, you know. He says, well, he says, but there's other kinds of music, you know. And, and I've told him about country western, but one of the country western singers that I like is Charlie Pride. You know he's got one song in his collection, you know what it says? Take time out for Jesus. He took time out for you. And that stayed with me all these years. Take time out for Jesus. He took time for you. Somebody else says, if you're too busy to pray, you're too busy. You're too busy if you're not taking time to pray. Think of the term, of terms of minutes, not of hours or of days. Just think of buying up the minutes. There are things that excite you, create creativity. I've got two areas in life that I should give more time to. One is art. I enjoy painting, but I've got about three or four paintings that are not finished. <laughs> and just the other week there, I got the brushes out and started going at it. And and then I write as well. I've, I've published three books for children. That's one of the books there that I've I read to you from this morning. Somebody else said to me down south, Alec, when's your next book coming out? I said, I haven't even thought about it. I know people who write, they'll tell you. Take a wee notepad with you. And, and in the minutes, just jot down some wee thoughts. And people who are artists will tell you, when you're on the bus, do a wee sketch of that lady in the front there, and, and do a wee sketch. People who write and who are artists, they do things with minutes. And think of minutes rather than hours and of days. How to use up these minutes for God, and, and the creativity that God has given you. You want to read. Well, why don't you use some of the minutes that God has given you? Maybe not hours and days to read, but just a few minutes to pick up a book and get on and read something because you want to do that. Here number two, and not only stop the leaks, but number two is study priorities. There are people who cannot get primary things done because their life is so taken up with the secondary issues. There are primary things that we need to give our time to. In my case, it used to be television. Television at night time, late on at night, I would be sitting watching the telly and I would be away to her bed. She, she used to go to bed Julie early and we hardly ever went to bed together. We usually pray at night and we have time together but I was getting into a rut with the television. I was listen, watching the television till late at night. I, I'm glad to say when that year of illness came... I managed to get rid of that kind of thing. I hardly watch the box now, I'm glad to say, except for the news. I used to watch lots of things on television that would be late at night, and I've overcome that. And television can take a terrible amount of time. So can the internet. I mean, my, my son-in-law and my daughter, who have been down here just now, up and, what's the first thing that my son-in-law does when he gets home from his work? The laptop is on his lab. His lap, I should say. And he's into the internet. Nearly all night. 
And you can get it like that with the computer. If it's not the TV, it's that. And what about a DS? I've got four grandchildren. These Nintendos. They come to see us. They don't see us. <laughs> the four of them, each one of them has got one of these things that costs about, I don't know, 80, 90, I don't know. They're all sitting there head down. Sometimes the head comes up. Because they're actually playing each other across from the city, you know. And you know this? I say, and Eileen, of course, she hates all this sort of stuff. She said, now, I'm going to take you a walk. Where are we going? How far away is it, you know? And she's trying to get them out of the house, and they're trying to get on with this, these games that are happening. And sometimes we need to say, what is taking up our time? How do we prioritise our time? I, I, I thank God that since that time of illness, I, I've started to walk more. That every morning I do a walk from our house right over Middiesburn, right up the bottom road and back into the house. I've been doing that every morning, rain, hail or snow. And I find it so helpful. Maybe that's something God's saying to you. You need to walk more. You need to have more leisure, more relaxation. Take the time. Jesus sat at a well to relax. Didn't feel guilty about it. And met a lady who needed to hear the gospel. Jesus didn't think it was a waste of time to go to a wedding and to socialise and turn the water into wine. Are we spending too much time on secondary things that we're not giving time to the primary things that God wants you to do? Now that's just leisure and time as well as church as well. Stop the leaks. So the priorities. And number three, start planning. Are you like us in our home, when aliens and that, we, we talk together and we say, we really should have somebody over us. So and so should be coming for lunch. I said, we, we really should have them over sometime. And we don't plan it. I tell you this, what's not planned never happens. We have to plan and say, right, we're going to have so and so over for a dinner, we're going to have to do such and such, we're going to plan it, get it down the diary, and that's going to be it. And sometimes we just talk about it and never plan. Folks, we need to start planning. Church life needs to be planned. Or we're all over the place. We're all over the place. Church life has to be planned. Our family life needs to be planned. A widow called Elizabeth Baker wrote a book, a very interesting title of a book. Here's the title, Wanting to Follow, Forced to Lead. Is that not an arresting title? I want to follow you, but I've been forced to lead you. Because you haven't been up to scratch as it were. Here's what she says. She says, Bill, my husband, had dropped out of church five years before he was killed. As a widow, I attended church for seven more years before I was invited to another Christian's home. A total of 12 years. I spent the first nine of those years at my home church. I often invited couples and small groups of married people to, to, to my home for meals, hosted church parties, invited single ladies to lunch, but never once in that time did the children and I receive an invitation to return. Twelve years it took for somebody to say, come to my home. Your husband's been killed, you're a widow, you've got a child. Why don't you come to my home and have a meal? And I just think, I just get convicted about these sort of things that I haven't planned, or my wife and I have not planned all the things that we should be planning. To have folks around and, and just to, to see people in a different context. 
Now there's just one more thing we need if God's going to help us to manage our time. And that's an impelling motive. What is the impelling motive that we find in these verses in Ephesians 5, 15 and 16? The impelling motive, because the days are evil. That's the impelling motive. And here's the question, let me put it to you this way. Are there motives sufficiently compelling to enable us to change the pattern of our lives, to break long indulged habits, even laziness in the use of time? Is there a compelling motive that would alter your daily life? Your daily routine, utterly altered, because the days are evil. And because the days are evil, we need to take time with the kids. Because the days are evil, we need to be here Sunday by Sunday. Wednesday by Wednesday if you can make it. We need to be around listening to God, what he's saying by his spirit. Because the days are evil. How do we get motivated? We think of that goal. Take somebody like Henry Martin. He was a Bible translator. And it said of him that he found it impossible to waste an hour of translation because of the vision of nations waiting for the truth that lay locked up in the book of the Bible he was translating. The need of a lost world proved an impelling motive to redeem the earth. He just couldn't, well, didn't want to stop because somebody was waiting on that book of the Bible to hear from God. And to be wonderfully saved. That was the motivation in this man Henry Martin's life. Because the days are evil. Did that not that do something for our motivation to use the time as an opportunity? Does that not do something about our motivation to buy up for God? Does that not do something about our motivation for not wasting it? The days are evil. God, help us to manage our time wisely. Here's a final word of caution. Refuse to get into bondage and guilt about what you haven't done. After a, a talk like this, you can feel, oh dear, there's so many things I haven't done. Refuse to get into bondage. That's the enemy. Getting us into bondage and piling the guilt upon us. All you have to do is say, Lord, I'm planning to the best of my ability. I want to give you the time back that you've given to me. And I just leave it with you. Circumstances will arise. Illness will come in the way. The kids will not allow us to do all the things that you want to do. All kinds of things. But Lord, I'm doing the best that I can. I just want to leave it with you. Without getting into bondage and getting into guilt about what we haven't done along the way. That's so important along the way. Now there's some other folk here. I might need this final illustration. Some people are just, a lot, there are a lot of busy things going on in life. Here's a final illustration. Ali and I can pack a case. You've never seen me packing a case, have you? Now okay, I don't just fling everything into the case. But when I pack a case... To me, it looks full. Eileen gets all the stuff out of the case again. And when she packs a case, there's room for other things. She puts the socks in the shoes and do all sorts of things that I just don't do. When I pack it, it looks really full. 
when she packets and packs it, there's room for something else. And when you stop the leaks, when you study priorities, when you start planning, lo and behold, there's room for other things during the day. There's room for other things when you pack these things into life. Can I ask you today, can I ask you, have you given your life to Jesus? Have you given your heart and your life to you? Because the Bible says now is the accepted time. There's a very old hymn that we don't sing nowadays. Let me just read the verse to you. It says, Life at best is very brief, like the falling of a leaf, like the binding of a sheaf, be in time. Fleeting days are telling fast, and the die will soon be cast, and the fatal line be passed. Be in time. And the chorus goes like this. Be in time. Be in time. For the voice of Jesus calls you. Be in time. If in sin you longer wait. You may find the open gate. And your cry be just too late. Be in time. Fairest flowers soon decay. Youth and beauty pass away. Oh you have not long to stay. Be in time. While God's spirit bids you come. Sinner do not longer roam. Lest you seal your hopeless doom. Be in time. Time is gliding swiftly by, death and judgment draweth nigh, and the arms of Jesus fly, be in time. Oh, I pray you count the cost, ere the fatal line be lost, and your soul in hell be lost, be in time. The last verse says, Sinner, heed the warning voice, make the Lord your final choice, then all heaven will rejoice, be in time. Come from darkness into light, come let Jesus make you right, come receive his life tonight, be in time. What's the old country western song saying to us? Take time out for Jesus. He took time out for you. Let's just bow in prayer. Perhaps you have never really given your heart and life to Jesus. And the Bible speaks this about time. It says, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Perhaps this morning you want to repeat this prayer after me to really know the special moment, Kairos time in your life. You can repeat it into your own self, into your own heart as I say this prayer. Lord Jesus, this is my special moment with you. I have sinned against you in word, thought and deed. And I ask you to come into my heart to be my Saviour and to be my Lord. And I want you, Lord, to help me to manage my time for my home and family, for my business, for my relaxation and leisure. For my church. That I would be a powerful tool. In your wonderful hands. Cleanse me from all sin. Forgive me for time wasted. And make me a steward, a manager. Of all that you have given. And of all that you own. I thank you, Lord, for this time together today. I just pray that your word will have spoken each and to each one of our hearts. We have all the praise and all the glory. And may you have the best use of our time. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'll leave the leaflets on the table there with all the notes for today. You can take away with you if you want. Thank you.